I don't know how many of you guys were around in the 60s, but it was before my time, okay? Uh, but back in the 60s, uh, if y'all remember, the Green Bay Packers were uh, pretty uh, famous for what they accomplished. Uh, in the 70s, it was kind of a toss-up between, you know, the Steelers and who, what, the hometown faithful, Woohoo! what, the Cowboys, right? And then you get to the, you get to the 80s, and, and you kind of see the 49ers, and uh, they kind of are, are really the, the cream of the crop. There, there might be a little bit of a red skin, you know, in the mix, boo, right, okay? Then you get to the 90s, and again, it's, it's kind of a toss-up between the 49ers and then also the hometown boys, the Cowboys, and we don't really care anything after that, right? NFL is just kind of tanked after, after all that. But back in the 60s, um, there was a guy who really must have made an impression on the NFL because they actually named the Super Bowl, what, trophy after this guy. It's the Vince Lombardi trophy, right? And Vince Lombardi, he was a guy who was into the details. He was very meticulous. Uh, he was uh, somewhat, even though small in stature, overbearing in nature and personality. And he expected great things of his players. Matter of fact, he would tell his guys, perfection is not attainable. However, if we, can't, if we chase perfection, we catch excellence. There was this one thing, though, that he wanted to instill in his uh, players, and that was work ethic and character. And matter of fact, he even said, I uh, just quoted, once you agree upon the price you and your family must pay for success, it enables you to ignore the minor hurts, the opponent's pressure, and the temporary failures. He goes, once you set your eyes on the prize, once you know what it is that you're running towards, what it is that you're shooting for, he goes, when you can finally aim for that and when you can actually put it in your sights, he says, everything else actually kind of begins to fade away in comparison. Even the temporary hurts, even though uh, sometimes it's difficult to blaze that trail, he goes, it's knowing that what you're attaining to is worth it. The thing is, though, is that in their time, the Green Bay Packers, they had this play. And a lot of you probably aren't football fans. Some of you are. But it was called the Packer Sweep. And it was the Power Sweep is what it was. And uh, you had uh, a guy named Bart Starr, okay, and he would hand it off uh, to a running back Hall of Famer named Paul Hornig. And uh, the thing is, though, is, is, is they would work on this play time and time and time again. Matter of fact, Bart Starr would say that to hear Vince Lombardi teach about how this play was going to work, he said it was an amazing experience. And he said, and I heard it so many times. He said, matter of fact, every time at training camp, he could just kind of throw the football aside. And he'd say, boys, don't even worry about that football. We're not going to use it for a while. And he would beat them into submission, but he would also get them in front of this big old huge chalkboard, and he would draw out the power sweep. And his point was this. If everybody does their part, and if everybody takes care of their responsibility, if all 11 guys are working in unison to the one thing that I asked them to do, he said, this play won't break it every time. You're not going to score a, a touchdown every time that Paul Hornig touched the ball. But he said, they will not be able to stop it. And he believed in that so much. And that's what would happen. Uh, you would have uh, Bart Starr take uh, a hand, uh, the snap from his center. He would hand it off to Paul Hornick. Uh, Paul Hornick, Paul had a guy uh, that was trailblazing the way and a guy named Jim Taylor. And then there were two offensive linemen, two guards that they would both pull. 
and they would pull, and they, they would head up into this huge lane, and uh, all that the opposing defense would know are here are two huge guys heading our way, and they're about to pummel us. And those guys are no other than a guy named Jerry Kramer, uh, who's not in the Hall of Fame yet, but uh, will be before probably too long. And there was another guy named Fuzzy Thurston. And you may be here, and you may go, why are you even telling us this? Like, what does this have to do with anything? But let me explain something to you real quick. Every good football team has what you call the bread and butter play. Like when everything else doesn't work, there's one play that you ought to do so well that you know that we're going to be able to run it. It, it doesn't necessarily mean that you've got all the caliber athletes everybody else has, but you believe so much in the, in the power sweep or in the bread and butter play that you have that your opponent's not going to be able to stop it. And the only way that you have a bread and butter is if it's something that you do over and over and over and over again. You got it? And you do it what? Well, matter of fact, the thing is, is this. He even said, you know, a lot of times he said, uh, what? You hear the phrase, practice makes perfect. Well, Vince Lombardi said, that's, that's hogwash. He said, no, it's perfect practice that makes what? It perfect. He said, it's doing it right time and time and time again. Well, my friends, tonight, as we conclude in this series called Disciple, week three, I want to take you to the bread and butter of the church called Disciple Making. It is the bread and butter. Like, if we don't do this well, then the church will die. If we don't get it in our minds that everyone has to be doing their part, not all of it, but something. You don't have to be the whole church. You just have to be a part of the church. You don't have to make all disciples. You just have to make some disciples. And if you can get in your mind that I've got to be a part of this, that I've got to be a part in making disciples, then we'll understand the bread and butter. And the bread and butter was what Paul wrote to this guy named Timothy. So if you've got your Bibles, I encourage you to turn with me to 2 Timothy chapter 2. And we're going to look at just a handful of verses. And, and like you could read over this and, and you might not even see it. Almost as if Vince Lombardi was sitting right here, you might not, kind of, you, you might not even hear the bread and butter speech. You may not get it. You, you may not understand it. But the bottom line is this. As Paul says, here's the bread and butter of disciple making. If the church is going to continue, if people are going to come to know Jesus Christ, if people are going to grow to be rooted and built up, strengthen the faith, as Colossians 2, 6 and 7 tells us, then someone has to be able to make disciples. Someone has to be able to enforce the great bread and butter of the church, discipleship. The crazy thing is, is this. <clears throat> you would think that every, every good team has a bread and butter play. You would think that every church has the bread and butter of discipleship making. But actually, I want you to know that not every great team has a bread and butter play. And not every great team, okay, uh, or every great church, so to say, is about this, the bread and butter of discipleship. Matter of fact, it's rare that you find churches that are actually making disciples. It's a lot easier to actually fill your churches up and just point people towards a message and hearing something, maybe even watching this thing on TV. It's a lot more difficult to do what we're talking about doing and about what Paul urges this guy named Timothy to do. Matter of fact, look what he says for him to do in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1. He says, you then, my son, be what? Woo, looky there. Did you see it? You then, my son, be strong. He goes, man, you need to be strong. 
And you're naturally thinking, yes, he, wa- he wants us to be strong. He wants us to be strong. Okay, what's that look like? He needs, to, he needs us to be strong. No, no, we're not talking about strong in and of yourself. Matter of fact, you know, Paul wrote to the church in Corinthians, in 1 Corinthians 1, and he actually, what, he told them, he said, what, your foolishness, or God's foolishness is greater than all of man's wisdom. God's weakness is greater than all of man's strength. He goes, even in your own strength, you pale in comparison. So what is he saying be strong in? He says be strong in what? The grace that is in what? Christ Jesus. And Paul must have thought that it was important because he tells Timothy this. He exhorts him to be strong in the Lord over 25 times. He keeps saying to him, Timothy, be strong. Timothy, be strong. Timothy, be strong. Timothy, be strong. And you would oftentimes think, well, maybe, maybe he's telling him this because maybe he lacked the confidence that he needed as a pastor. Maybe he just needed the reassurance because the church was difficult and, and it was very hard to lead and pastor a church. Maybe that's why he kept imploring him to be strong. Now, I believe that he implored him to be strong because in, if you're going to pastor, lead, shepherd, or disciple, make You have to be strong in the Lord. You have to know what you believe and why you believe it. You have to know why you make choices the way you do and what those choices reflect and also what those choices mean, not only to you, but the people around you. You have to, what, live in truth. There has to be some source of hope and guiding force in your life. The Bible that allows you to be strong, and that's what being strong looks like. Matter of fact, What's interesting is, though it's a lot of reading, I want you to see it. I want you to read along with me. In 1 Timothy chapter 6, Paul is writing his first letter to Timothy, and I love what he tells him in all the sixth chapter. We typically take this and we hear one phrase, and that's about money. And some of you, like this is what you're going to hear today, the money phrase. That's it, okay? But look at all the things that he exhorts Timothy to be strong in. Look at them. It's amazing. All what? All who are under the yoke of slavery should consider their masters worthy of full respect so that God's name and our teaching may not be slandered. He said, everybody who submits to authority a master-servant relationship, he says, make sure you honor your master. Make sure that you are encouraging them, that you're listening to them, that you respect them. Then verse 2, he says, those who have believing masters should not show them disrespect just because they are fellow believers and said they should serve them even better because their masters are dear to them as fellow believers and are devoted to the welfare of slaves. These are the things that you are to teach and insist on. He says just because your master is a believer in Jesus Christ like you are, he says don't put it in your mind that you now are on the same level. He said continue to have the attitude of Jesus Christ who what? Did not consider what? Equality got with God something to be grasped. He said even though you are the slave in this slave-master relationship, and even though you're brothers in Christ and you're both heirs of the kingdom, he said, don't use that to your advantage. He said, keep serving. Serve heartily as if you're serving for the Lord, not as if you're serving men. And that's what he's imploring them to do. And then look what he says. He kind of moves on. He says, if anyone teaches otherwise and does not agree to the sound instruction of our Lord Jesus Christ and to godly teachings, they are conceited and what? They understand 
nothing. They have an unhealthy uh, interest in controversies and quarrels about the words that result in envy, strife, malicious talk, evil suspicions, and constant friction between what? People of corrupt mind who have been robbed of the truth and who think that godliness is a means to financial gain. He says, you need to watch in all of these relationships. And he said, if there's other people that are teaching something different, contrary to the word of God, as a means to promote themselves, even to financial gain, he said, it's heresy. And he says, but you need to be on guard. What is he saying here? He says, Timothy, you need to be strong. Why? Because, Timothy, there are things out in the culture right now that are being taught. There are things that are being said by people that many believe to be true. But, Timothy, someone has to be able to differentiate truth from lies. Somebody has to be able to stand firm on the constant counsel and the decrees of God's word. Someone has to do that. And Timothy, who better than you? A pastor, a guy who's going to be a prominent figure in the life of the church of Ephesus. He said, Timothy, be strong. Timothy, be strong. And do you see what he's saying here? He's going, look, if you're going to be a disciple maker, you have to be strong. You have to have a a level of knowledge that allows you to invest in other people. Matter of fact, he continues. Look what he says. But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world and can take nothing out of it. Isn't that so true? What did you bring into the world? Nothing. What can you take out? Nothing. Man, that's pretty easy teaching. If you know that to be true, you brought nothing into the world and you can take nothing out of the world, then guess what? Why would you spend all your life acquiring things that you can never take with you? Disciple makers understand that they invest in things that are eternal. You remember last week? A disciple-making person sets their sights on eternal things. Why? Because those are things that matter. Those are things that last. They don't spoil and they don't fade away. Amen, friends? And so that's what a disciple-maker does. And that's what he's telling this guy, Timothy. He goes, hey, don't get caught up in some of the things other people get caught up in. Then he says in verse 8, he says, if we have food and clothing, we'll be content with that. He shows him contentment. Verse 9, he says, those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and in many foolish, harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people, eager with money, have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many a grief. So what is he telling Timothy, he says, hey, don't get caught up in financial gain and success. It's easy to get your eyes over there. It's easy to want more stuff. It's easy to want to keep up with everybody around you. But he said, learn the secret of contentment. Learn what it is to have enough. Isn't Paul the expert on that? Paul is the guy who he said, I know what it's like to have little. I know what it's like to have a lot. I know what it's like to eat well, and I know what it's like to go hungry. I know what it's like to be clothed, and I know what it's like to be naked. But then he says, but I can do all things through who? Christ who strengthens Timothy, be strong. Timothy, be strong. Learn the secret of contentment. Learn not to pursue financial gain on this earth. He says, why? Because many a people have even wandered from the faith pursuing such interests. You see that? Then look what he says. Y'all ready for this? This is the cool part. I I love this. He says, but hey, you, Timothy, man of God. Then look what he says. Look what he tells him to do. But you, man of God, flee from all of this. 
Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. Fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of eternal life to which you were called when you were made, you, when you made your good confession in the presence of many witnesses. In the sight of God, who gives life, ever, uh, life to everything, and to Christ Jesus, who, while testifying before Pontius Pilate, made the good confession, I charge you to keep this command with, without spot or blame until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which God will bring about in his own time, the blessed and only ruler, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, who alone is immortal and who, what, lives in an unapproachable light whom no one has ever seen or can see. To him be honor and might forever. Amen. Then he says, I want you to do something. Instruct others. He says, you live in a faithful way and instruct others. And he says, command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, not to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides with uh, us with everything what we need for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasures for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that what? They may be able to take hold of the life that is truly life. Timothy, guard... What has been entrusted to your care? Turn away from godless chatter and the opposing ideas of what is falsely called knowledge, which some have professed, and in so doing they have departed from the faith. Grace be with you. He says, Timothy, be strong in the Lord Jesus Christ. My friends, what does that look like? Like, What does it look like for you? What does it look like for me? It's understanding that God does not want us to quench our spiritual appetites with things that seem to be appealing on earth. But he would rather us quench our spiritual appetite on him, his decrees, and his commands, what storing up for ourselves treasures in heaven that will last for all of eternity. He wants us to be faithful men and women to the cause of Jesus Christ. He wants us to know truth, to abide in truth, and to live in truth. He wants us to steer clear of things that will what? Cause us to wander from our faith. Church, do people wander from their faith in this day and age? Yes. Why? Because they are not strong in the Lord. It is the same thing that Paul urged the church in Ephesus to do what? Stand firm in the Lord and His mighty power. Why? So that you may be able to stand against the schemes of what? The devil, the enemy. That's Ephesians 6, 10 through 12. Why? Stand firm so that you can resist. Why? Because isn't it true that the enemy is prowling around like a roaring lion? Doesn't he want to devour you? Doesn't he want to entice you? Doesn't he want to drag you along? Yes. How does he not succeed when you know the bread and butter? You know exactly what you're supposed to do. And what is it? You be strong in the Lord. Then look what it says. And the things you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses and trust to reliable people who will also be qualified to teach others. Do you see what he did? There's four components in verse 2. Four. What's the very first thing he says? And the things that you've heard me say. Like, heard me say. You remember last week? The dad who says, son, don't do as I do. Do as I. The thing is, is if you're going to be strong in the Lord, 
you have to be teachable to God's Word. You have to be a learner. You have to desire the things of God. Do you remember Jesus said, let them have ears that what? Hear and eyes that see. That ought to be your prayer. If you want to be a disciple maker, your prayer every day ought to be, Lord, today give me eyes to see and ears to hear. Lord, help me to see the needs around me. Lord, help me to have uh, my eyes open. Help me to see people the way that you see them. Because, Lord, right now, my secretary is annoying me. But Lord, help me to figure out how. I didn't really mean that about my secretary, by the way. <laughs> But how do you, how do you ex exude patience and love? How do you exude faithfulness? It's when you have the eyes to see like God sees. It's when you have ears to hear. When your ear is constantly to the ground and you're constantly looking for ways that you can be what? An asset to other people. Not ears to hear your own financial gain. As Paul said to Timothy, hey, it's not about your financial gain. It's about what? Giving. Because at the end of this life, you don't get to take it with you, my friends. And so why don't you put your ear to the ground and be listening, eyes to see, ears to hear, learning the things of the faith that what? Strengthen the brethren. That's the heart of a disciple maker. Did you know that? Eyes to see and ears to hear. That's the heart of a disciple maker. Lord, teach me. Lord, I have so much to learn. Consequently, do you think there's ever a point in your Christian walk where there's nothing else for you to learn? Like, you, you, you don't think that there's a time that after your pastor or one of your spiritual leaders gets their doctorate degree, like, there's nothing else for them to continue to pursue? Like, is, I mean, is there more for them to do? They've learned it all. I mean, haven't they hit the pinnacle of the Christian faith? By no means. We never arrive. And so may we have ears to hear and eyes to see. Why? Like, why? Because he says, the things that you've heard me say in the presence of many witnesses, he says, entrust them. Did you see them? He says, learn for the purposes of what? Teaching. You learn, you abide, you strengthen. It's Colossians 2, 6 and 7. It's rooted, built up. Strengthen the faith as you've been taught. Why? So that you can overflow with thankfulness. What is the greatest thing about a Christian that brings you joy? Like, you know that person that you're just drawn to? Like, I mean, they're just, they're always, they seem to be cheerful. They always seem to be abiding in righteousness. They seem to be overflowing like a spring of water. That's what you want. They learn and they teach. They're teachable so they can entrust. That's, my friends, what it looks like. And last week I told you, what is it that we entrust to people? Like, what, what are we here for? So that you can show people how what? How to deny yourself, take with the cross and follow Jesus. How you can show people how to love God. How you can love other people. What else are you showing them? You're showing them a biblical worldview. You're showing them right from wrong, what it looks like to live in truth, what it looks like to abide in truth. You're showing them that not only do you believe these principles, but that you live clearly in those principles, that you're a man or you're a woman of integrity, that you're not going to take side deals as a means of financial gain, that you're not going to get caught up and be distracted in this life because your eyes are set on the author and the perfecter of your faith, the Lord Jesus Christ, in whom you say, I am set for the day of redemption, the day in which he calls me 
me home. That's where my eyes are. That's what my prize is. That's why I run my race. That's, my friends, what you do. You learn so that you can entrust, so that you can teach. Do you see that? You learn so that you can teach. Isn't that different than what so many of our churches are doing? They learn and learn and learn and learn and learn and learn and learn. And And then they argue with their pastor who taught them what they initially learned because they think they've learned something better. Now they learn some more and learn a different way of what they previously learned and learn a little more and learn the argument to that argument and learn some more. The problem is they never entrust it to anyone. And that, my friends, is where the bread and blood butter goes wrong. When Jim Taylor, the fullback of the Green Bay Packers, decided that he's not going to kick out the defensive end and he's not going to block him this time because he thinks he ought to block someone he thinks best, guess what? The play gets blown up every time. And the problem with the church is this. As disciple makers, we oftentimes think that it's someone else's job. What was it that Pastor Brian said in week one? The two tragedies in disciple making within the church where the church has gone wrong. One, we believe it's someone else's responsibility. And two, what? We never, ever teach people how to do it. They don't know the bread and butter. They don't know why we do these things. Well, here it is, my friends. You learn so you can teach. If you're a learner for the sake of learning, you'll never be a disciple maker because what you learn, you have to be able to share with other people. Matter of fact, Colossians 3, 15 through 17, Paul implores the church of Colossae. Look what he says to them. He says, Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you are called to peace, and be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell, what? Among you richly. You see that? Is it to dwell in you? Yes. Is it to teach you? Yes. Absolutely. Should you find joy in the Word of God? Should you saturate yourself in it? Should you learn it? Should you desire it? Yes, absolutely. But why? So that you may admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. I can show you many, many verses past thought that uh, read Ephesians 4, 11 through 16. Why? Because the same principle is this. Learn and teach. Learn and teach. Abide in, overflow with. And then who is it? What is it next? It says simply this. You've heard me say in the presence of many witnesses and trust to reliable people. Faithful men is what your text may say. That's the best version. Entrust it to faithful men. Do you entrust it to everybody? No. You want to know the hardest part about a preacher's job? Is he works all week trying to prepare a message and only half the people really want to hear it. Does everybody want to hear the message? No. No, they don't. Who does? Faithful men. You cannot disciple people that do not want to be discipled. There are some of you that you have been trying to disciple your grandson for 20 years. And guess what? He doesn't want to be discipled. Some of you, you've been imploring and trying to disciple your children, and they've been out of your house for 15 or 20 years, and you want to pour into them so bad. But guess what? They don't want to be poured into. 
And that is heartbreaking, but you have to come to the point and understand that discipleship is a two-way road. You have to have someone who learns and teaches, and then you have to have another person that they are faithful men, what? Who will be qualified to teach other people. Do you see it? It's a cyclical process. You have a faithful man who wants to be taught. They want to overflow into other people. In order to do that, they have to find a faithful young man or a faithful young woman who loves the Lord with all of their heart, with all of their mind, with all of their strength, with all of their soul, with all of their being. And they say, would you teach me what you've come to know? Will you, will you show me what it is that you want me to see? Why? So that I can entrust those things to other people. You know what I'm saying? Right now, I'm a disciple in gardening. Did you know that? I'm a disciple in gardening. I know nothing about gardening other than it's a lot of stinking hard work. You got me? But I'm a disciple in gardening. I'm I'm, I'm reading stuff. I I mean, I stay late up at night. I'm trying to figure out new strategies on how to grow bigger, better tomatoes. You know what I'm talking about? Right now, I'm trying to give my book, my, another book to my wife, and it's simply just how, how do you keep plants alive for a week or longer. And so, like, but we're learning, we're growing, and I have a buddy who sits in this service, and I call him about seven times a week, and I looked at my phone, and I talked to him a periods of 15 or 20 minutes, and I know that there's a point in time where he's like, okay, dude, you're going to have to stop calling me. You're going to have to stop calling me, but I am learning. And like, I can't learn enough. Like, teach me, man, teach me. Why? Because I want to learn. I want to do something that I never knew very much about. So what? My kids can learn and that I can be a part of it. And and better yet, I, I got acreage and I'm like, I don't want to just sit there and waste. Let's use it. Huh? Let's be fruitful and let's multiply, baby. You know what I'm talking about? A great disciple. Ask the disciple maker lots of questions. You're a learner. You desire it. Why? So that you can trust that to faithful people. And that's the idea. You may be here and you may be wondering, okay, as I look at this, as I learned this, okay, in the presence of many witnesses and trust, okay, I'm a teacher. I'm going to give it to reliable people who want to learn. Why? So they'll be qualified to turn around and lead other people. I do all this, and I keep doing it. But why? So that the kingdom of God may flourish. And so that people will benefit. Listen to me. Let me ask you a handful of questions real quick. My friends, did anybody ever teach you to read the word of God? Did anybody just come along and show you, hey, here's 13 essentials to the Christian faith, things that you need to know? Has anybody ever done that with you? I would... Say the answer is probably no. I'm not talking about a sermon. I'm not talking about here. I'm saying, has anybody ever just said, son, let me teach you how to read the word. Call me when you've got a question and I'll walk you through it. Let me show you what it looks like to give to the church and honor God with your finances. Hey, let me show you what it looks like to be a godly man before you get married. Hey, let me show you what it looks like to make choices in in purchasing anything that you have moving forward. Let me show you what it looks like just to know the Word of God and abide richly in Him. Has anybody ever done that for you? Time and time again, the answer is no. And and listen, we have one way of making disciples really at at Stone Point. Really, there's two ways. But one of them is you, you get plugged in with other people. We call them journey groups. 
And there has to be a point in time that you say, I want to learn. And you get plugged in to a journey group, not for the sake of just making buddies for the long haul, but to learn and to be taught so that you can admonish one another, that you can teach them, and that you can, what, shepherd other people at some point in time. That's why you get into a journey group. The other thing, though, is this, is that there's nothing against what Paul and Timothy had, just a special relationship. You know what I'm talking about? That there's just someone in the church that you hit it off with and that you go outside of a journey group, that concept. Like, you don't have, you don't have to be in a journey group to disciple someone, and you don't have to be in a journey group to what? Be discipled. That is our best way of doing it on a large scale at Stone Point. But the bottom line is this. Unless there was someone who took me up under his wing and said, man, let me show you how to grow spinach, I wouldn't know. If somebody didn't teach me how to catch a fish, I wouldn't know. If somebody didn't teach me how to read my Bible, I wouldn't know. And the tragedy is this. I sit at 34 years of age, and no one has ever sat and told me how to what? Have a quiet time. I pieced it together. I learned it over time. Isn't that a tragedy? There are some of you that you're 64 years old. 30 years the latter. And nobody's ever showed you what it looks like to have a quiet time. My friends, it would be like Vince Lombardi getting his team together on the very first day of training camp and not showing them the power sweep. Do you understand? And so the question is, is do you want to grow and abide in Jesus Christ? Yes then we've got to do a better job of making disciples. And there are some of you in here that you know how to have a quiet time. Maybe somebody didn't teach you, but you picked it up along the road. But you can teach and admonish someone else. You can instruct them in the Word of God. It's time. I implore you to do that. There are some of you that you would go emphatically, Whoa, hey, I need help. I need help. I am wondering, feels like aimlessly. And I need somebody to instruct me what it looks like towards godly living. Would you pour into me? Would you invest in me? Would you show me? And maybe that's you today. And at, hey, while you're at it, go ahead and learn about gardening. You can do both. <laughs> Instruct me in how to build an engine. Because listen, you can build an engine. You can put a super duper engine, hyped up engine, and you can teach people about putting an engine in a truck and how to live the things of the faith. You can do both. And so take your skill, take your asset, take the things that you know how to do and use those as a creative means to teach other people about what it is that you also know in Jesus Christ. That's what it looks like. If you wonder what it looks like to be qualified to teach, listen, I just encourage you to pick up Psalm 119 and read it. Instruct me, Lord, in your decrees. That's what it looks like. Instruct me, Lord. Teach me your decrees. And then look what it says in verse 3 and following. Y'all ready for this? Look, this is, I love this. Join me in suffering like a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No one serving as a soldier gets entangled in civilian affairs, but rather tries to please his commanding officer. You got that? When you are a soldier, who is it? You are trying to please your commanding officer, right? What does he say? Timothy, there's one person that you need to please. Jesus Christ. Then he says... Similarly, anyone who competes as an athlete does not receive the victor's crown except by competing according to the rules. He says you got to have some standards. you got to have some guidelines. You can't run in the Olympics and not stay in your lane. They disqualify you for the prize. 
You can't box and hop out of the, the, the uh, ring and get somebody else to come in with you. They disqualify you from the prize. You can't be a part of tag wrestling and just hop in anytime that you want. You're disqualified for the prize. You can't play baseball and run to third base first. There's rules. There's order. And my friends, that's what he says. The same with the word. He says, there's a commanding officer that we need to please, and he said, there are rules that we need to follow. And then why? He says, because it's like a farmer. You looked at, you like, that's why I drew this text, like a farmer. Okay, okay, here we go. What does he say? <laughs> and he should be the first to receive a share of the crops. Why? Because he says, when you abide in the Lord, when you're strengthened in him, when you're built up in him, when you abide by the word and the decrees and the commands and the instruction of the Lord, when you decide that I'm no longer what going to lean on my own understanding, but in all ways I'm going to acknowledge him, submit to him, then he will make my what path straight. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. It's when you get there that you realize, wow, I can receive the prize. That's, my friends, of what Jesus said. Deny yourself, take up the cross, and follow me. He says, Abide, obey your commanding officer. Follow the rules and the instructions, the decrees and the, the commands of the Lord. Why? So that you see a fruit of righteousness, a harvest that's amazing at the end. Don't you all want to live for something that's worth living for? I'm going to tell you one thing that's worth living for. Are you ready for it? Y'all ready? Disciple making. It is the single most wonderful component of my life that when this week I get a text from one of my buddies who says, thank you for investing in me. Thank you for sharing with me because I led one of my co-workers to Jesus Christ this week. That's what it's about. And there's some of you that you never hear God's stories because you never invest in anybody for the purposes of God's kingdom. Did you hear that? You never hear God's stories because you never invest in people. You have to invest to see the fruit of righteousness, the crop. And that's what it's all about. I'll leave you this one quote by D.L. Moody. This is what he says. It's better to train 10 people than to do the work of 10 people. Amen? But he goes, but it's harder. Because you know what I'm talking about? You're like, hey, instead of me Instead of me teaching you how to plant that garden, dude, just let me, I'll just come over and do it. It's easier. But there's a day where my teacher will set me free. You got me? And there's a day that I'll call him and go, hey, dude, I bet you anything my tomatoes are bigger than yours. <laughs> but that day hasn't happened yet. And that's why we keep training and teaching so that one day people will uh, experience the fold. And so here's what I implore you to do. If you want, you ready for this? I encourage everybody to do it, and I encourage you to do it now. I want you to grab a communication card, and I want you to write your name on the front if you want to do this, and I want you to write one thing on the back. I want to be a disciple maker, or I need to be discipled. That's the only thing. I want you to write your name and you go, I want to be a disciple maker or I want to be discipled. Meaning, I still need, some, I need somebody to instruct me in the counsel of God's word. If you're in a journey group, then that means that maybe you need to seek more out of that journey group. Maybe you need a relationship that's in that context more. I don't know what it looks like. 
But here's what I do know. There are some of you here that you have so many things that you can pass on to another person or to another generation. And all I need you to do is raise your hand and go, hey, use me. I'll be a disciple maker. And there are some of you here that right now you can't teach or admonish or instruct anyone because right now you say, I don't know what to instruct them in. I'm not strong in the Lord. I'm not strong in my faith. I don't know the elementary truths of the Bible. I want to know them, but I don't know them. And so let us help you with that. That's what this is all about. In order to what? Make a disciple, you have to be one first. That's how it works. Why? So you can learn and entrust it to faithful men. So they, in turn, are able to what? Tell other people. That's it. Amen? Let me pray for us. Father, I thank you for the opportunity to just study your word and to live in it. And, uh, Lord, I pray, God, that we would... We would see that this right here is the bread and the butter of the church. It's not hard. It's not difficult. We just have to learn. And as we learn your word, as we abide in your word, we have to begin to teach it to other people. we got to look for faithful men and women who want to learn, who want to soak it up, not merely for the sake of soaking it up, not merely for the pursuit of more knowledge, but so that they too can share with other people. And my prayer is, is that we would get this and that this would be the essential part of the future of our church and the growth thereof, that, Lord, people would, would simply take what they've heard and what they've seen, what you've done in their lives, and that you would use it for your glory, for your namesake. Father, we love you and we thank you. In your name we pray, amen.